It's the Dead Lady Show podcast. The Dead Lady Show celebrates women, both overlooked and iconic, who achieved amazing things against all odds while they were alive. And we do it through women's history storytelling on stage here in Berlin and beyond. And then we bring you the very best of those stories here on the podcast. I'm Susan Stone, and I'm joined by Dead Lady Show co-founder Katie Darbyshire. Hey there, Katie. Hi, Susan. So in this episode, we'll be hearing from the multi-talented Hinamawana Baker. Hinamawana hails from New Zealand. She is a writer and musician of Maori and Pakea heritage, and her poetry collection, Funkhaus, was published by Victoria University Press in 2020. That's right. And she'll be presenting her reflections on the life of another New Zealand writer, Catherine Mansfield. Mansfield was a very influential modernist writer who hung out with Virginia Woolf and D.H. Mm-hmm. Lawrence and the whole gang. Um, she's called by some the godmother of the short story in the English language, and she wrote a great many in her tragically short life. The talk starts with a bit of music and then a bit of Tereo Māori as Hinamoana makes her introduction. Thank you, thank you for that. Then I got to Katoa, no my hire my call Hinimoana, Hinimoana Baker DNA, in Mihiatine Kaukoto. I'm Hinimoana, I'm um, from Aotearoa, New Zealand. It's awesome to be here. Uh, one of my favourite podcasts and shows. So, yeah, and thank you all for coming. And I say that in the way that you say this to people nowadays, <laughs> you know, which is slightly different to how we used to say it. Uh, I'm really honoured to be here uh, presenting Catherine Mansfield. Um, When I first started uh, thinking about this, I didn't think I had a lot in common with her, but as it turns out, there have been a few surprises along the way during my um, research about her. So for those who are listening at home, I'm just going to reprise the uh, poem that we just listened to, which has been set to music by an artist called Lawrence Arabia, a New Zealand musician, uh, on an album called Mansfield. The name of this poem is Malad, and it goes, The man in the room next to mine has got the same complaint as I. When I wake in the night, I hear him turning. And then he coughs, then I cough. And after a silence, I cough. And he coughs again. And this goes on for a long time until I feel we are like two roosters calling to each other at false dawn from far away hidden farms. So the reason that I like this poem is she's not actually known as a poet, Catherine Mansfield, but I'm a poet myself, so I'm drawn to her poetry. And I think there's a few reasons why I like it. It's very personal, and also it kind of shows that someone who is in a very serious state of uh, ill health, in her case it was tuberculosis, 
uh, she can still bring an eye of kind of irony and I guess even humour to that situation, to her situation, which is something that I would aspire to if I if I could. This is the full album, um, and there are 12 artists on the album. Um, the producer of the album, Charlotte Yates, has done four of these albums now. Um, I was involved in the Too Funny one, but there's also been James K. Baxter and Weti Ihimaira. All four are well-known New Zealand writers, and it's a really cool project, the, the music settings for these poems, so I'd encourage you to have a, have a look at those if you feel like it. So this is Catherine Mansfield, and I've called this presentation Born in a Storm uh, for a few reasons. It's a title of one of her short stories, but uh, also... The story was set in and she was born in Wellington in New Zealand and uh, it's no joke the windiest city in the world. Um, my own mum spent her childhood in Wellington and she can remember as a six-year-old having to hold on to a lamppost as her feet were literally swept out from under her during a southerly, um, this is just a normal southerly wind uh, at, at Island Bay. So, um, yeah, it's kind of well known that it's, it's a fairly windy city. And um, <laughs> this is from The Guardian, where is the world's windiest city? Spoiler alert, it's not Chicago. The wind speed sometimes hits 154 miles per hour. So, um, yeah, it's kind of famous, even the... <laughs> The sign that welcomes you as you fly into the airport, and even flying into the airport is quite an experience, I can tell you. It looks like the, the last three letters of the word Wellington are being swept away in the wind. Kind of cheesy. It, uh, it divided people in the city when that sign was put up, but um, I think it's, it's funny. And yeah, so this will give you some idea of the uh, intensity of the wind there. I can see my partner Claude going, oh, no, we're not going there. I'm never going there. <laughs> Um, but it was just, this was the first connection that I made with her, was that obviously she's she's from Wellington, and that was the city that was my home for 22 years before I came to New Zealand, uh, to Berlin, rather. So, um, yeah, so I called it Born in a Storm for that reason, but I mean, in a sense, you could say that anyone born in Wellington was born in a storm with winds like that, um, but I also thought that it was appropriate for this presentation because although she was born into a lot of privilege, Catherine Mansfield, and she loved excitement and she hungered for adventure, uh, she also endured quite a lot of pain and suffering during her life, her short life, physically, mentally, you could say spiritually as well. And I guess in some ways that grief was also something I bonded um, with with her uh, she writes really startlingly and vividly about Wellington, um, and I called. Um, I also called this presentation um, a, a kind of personal pandemic response to the writing of Catherine Mansfield because, frankly, everything is personal and pandemic related for me at the moment. So you're just going to have to endure that. Sorry, um, and you can see from this, this slide too that she was um, born in Wellington, but she died in France, and she was only 34 when she died. So it's very, very young. Yeah, so here she is at, I think she's about 10 or 11 in this picture here. That's her there. She's got three sisters and one brother, Leslie, who she was very, very fond of. And I mean, she's probably about 17 or 18 in this this slide over here. And I mean, a mere few years after that, she was blimmin' leaving the whole country and jumping on a on a boat for six months and heading over to, to London uh, 
heading over to England. And I mean, I was quite—I'm quite impressed by her gumption, I guess, on that level. She is known as a modernist writer, and she's called by some the godmother of the short story in the English language. She certainly is a very influential writer, important writer in the modernist movement. And she didn't really consider herself much of a poet, even though I, I do like some of her poems a lot. She did love poetry. One of the people who launched the album we were listening to said of her that even though in her short story she has a bit of a bit of an artifice, a bit of a shield between her and the reader, in her poems she really lets that go. So you get a sense of her as a as a human being. Whereas in her short story she's definitely kind of allergic to what she would have called authenticity or um <laughs> being visible on the page, yeah? So this is a great difference between her and I. I'm um, a chronic oversharer. Um, she actually once wrote, don't lower your mask until you have another mask prepared beneath. <laughs> yeah. This is interesting, yeah. <laughs> in these days, you know, in these, in these times. So, yeah, she's a writer, a journalist, an essayist. Um, she was born Kathleen Beecham, she changed her name to Catherine Mansfield. She was born in 1888 into a wealthy colonial family. Uh, she was one of three daughters, but closest to her brother. When she moved to London, as I said, at 19, she's... Um, yeah, I mean, even today, it would take quite a lot of devotion to your path and determination to, to do something like that. And she's jumping on a ship and ending up on the other side of the world with no job, no reputation, no friends, no partner, no internet in those days, um, simply because she knew she wanted to be a writer and lead the kind of life that it was impossible to live in, in blimmin' old provincial New Zealand at that time. So I, had, I have real admiration for her on that level. It's not, um, it's not a small thing that she did at any time, let alone at the turn of the century. Yeah, and the other connection I feel with her is that she was a queer writer. She, um, I mean, she was one of the Bloomsbury group, uh, or she was close to them. And so she was close friends with household names like D.H. Lawrence and his wife Frida. It seems like, okay, don't hold me to this, but it seems like from what I've read that they might have even almost gotten into like a polyamorous relationship with the Lawrences. Yeah, the Lawrences were into it. But they weren't into it, Catherine and her husband at that stage. Um, this is a whole other presentation, so I'll, I'll have to come back and do that. But anyway, there's Virginia Woolf as well and E.M. Forster, T.S. Eliot. Even Pablo Picasso was a regular contributor to, um, to a magazine that she, she edited. But yeah, she, she was a very courageous person in this sense as well. She had at least two strong and long-lasting relationships with women. Um, one was a lifelong, apparently platonic marriage with this woman here, Ida Baker. Uh, she was totally devoted to Catherine Mansfield. They were devoted to each other. Right from when they met at school to her death uh, 20 years later, Ida Baker was her servant, her companion, her friend, confidant, her wife. She selflessly pretty much played whatever role Mansfield wanted her to. And she was the person who attended Catherine Mansfield when she was dying at Fontainebleau. And when she was being lowered into her grave, 
her uh, husband at the time, John Middleton Murray, also kind of famous, he got kind of flustered at the graveside at the idea of throwing dirt onto the coffin. And so Ida Baker stepped up and threw in some of Catherine Mansfield's favourite flowers, which were marigolds. Um, however, it was actually another relationship with another woman that I that kind of piqued my interest. And that woman is Martha Mahupuku. She's from Ngāti Kahungunu, which is an iwi in the Wairarapa area of the North Island. Now, I'm not from Ngāti Kahungunu, so I don't speak for her or her family uh, or her hapu or iwi. I want to make that clear. I'm, I'm really just speaking from the reading and the research that I've been able to do that's already in the public domain. Martha and Catherine had first met at high school in Wellington. Martha was a wealthy young Māori woman. She was the daughter of a, um, a leading Māori rangatira from Wairarapa. And uh, in 1904, she, went, she herself went to Paris to attend a finishing school. And she then went from Paris to London to visit Catherine uh, in 1906. Uh, the two kept diaries for each other. They did both go on to marry other people, but you know their intense connection is very well documented. I get the feeling Catherine was kind of a bit keener on it than than Marta was, but you know it's hard to know about these things. Yeah, so this uh, fierce bond, especially when they were younger, really kind of worried uh, Catherine Mansfield's parents. I have to say, and. Uh, it resulted in one of the darkest episodes of Catherine's life when she was, she had a few kind of disastrous affairs in uh, in London, and she ended up getting pregnant, and then she married a guy who wasn't the father of the baby, um, and she married all in black, and she left him that same day. So yeah, she's very kind of dramatic, quite passionate and dramatic person, and her mother you know, swooped in from New Zealand, Amy Beecham, swooped in from New Zealand to kind of sort her out, this is the feeling I get anyway, and blamed everything on her on her lesbian tendencies. She whisked her away to a spa town in Bavaria called Bad Wörishofen and essentially just dumped her there. Uh, and Catherine Mansfield had a, a miscarriage after that at the spa place um, in Bavaria when she tried to lift... A suitcase, and she felt very alone and kind of abandoned by her family. She talked later, wrote later about the hypocrisy of family love. This is what she wrote about Martha in one of her diaries. I want Martha. I want her as I have had her, terribly. This is unclean, I know, but true. So, speaking about my kind of personal connection with her, I... I didn't really have one until I, I started this process, and I guess it kind of started w with this trip. Um, Claude, my partner, and I were in the south of France staying at um, their grandmother's little place that she bought for five bucks 100 years ago, God bless her. Um, we were staying in Saint-Maxime, which is just down the road from a place called Monton, and Monton is one of the places in Europe that Catherine Mansfield lived in the hope of improving her health. She got tuberculosis in her late 20s, but she also had gonorrhea and rheumatoid arthritis. And if you listen to the, or if you believe the podcast I was listening to a few days ago, she probably maybe had bipolar disorder. Um, so, yeah, there are a few things going on for her, and she hoped that the general atmosphere and weather of the south of France might 
might help those things. So I was so close to this place and it's been turned into a writer's residency for New Zealand writers. It's been running for 51 years now. Catherine Mansfield lived up here in the flash part <laughs> with the balcony and the writers lived down here. Not so flash, but still, you know, it's good. And, uh, and I've never had this residency. I had the residency in Berlin, but um, this is the other kind of well-known New Zealand writers' residency overseas. Obviously, at the moment, no, no New Zealand writers there, but um, it is kind of a holy of holies uh, for New Zealand writers, so I figured that I really should go and pay my respects. Um, this is Monton on a postcard, and this is Monton when we visited, which is still pretty nice. Um, it's hard to impress New Zealanders with like beaches and you know <laughs> nature and stuff, but I was I fell a bit in love. I have to say I could understand why she she called. She actually spoke about um, going there to hopefully get some healing for what she called her her wing. That's how she referred to her left lung, which was very damaged by by tuberculosis. So while I go through these slides of our um, sickening visit to <laughs> Monton as we sit here in the winter, um, I can just talk a bit about some other surprises that I found out about her. She was a performer as well as a writer. So she would get up at parties and just in order to make money when she first landed in London, she'd get up at parties and tell witty stories. I think she fancied herself a bit of an Oscar Wilde. She really had a big crush on, on Oscar Wilde. And... Um, so that's how she used to make a bit of money. And people described her as being an amazing mimic as well. Um, she originally wanted to be a musician, not a writer. Some people said that she was quite a, maybe a slightly cruel observer of other people. Some people called her a bit rough. Virginia Woolf said, in truth, I am a little shocked at her commonness at first sight. Lines so hard and cheap. Ooh. Burn, Virginia. <laughs> but, she goes on to say, hers was the only writing I've ever been jealous of. Oh, mm -hmm. oh yeah. That's what we like to hear. Uh, she was also quite a chameleon. Um, Catherine Mansfield would love to dress up in different styles. And uh, she had different pen names for herself when she wrote poetry. And she also called herself Katya sometimes, sometimes Katarina, sometimes other Russian names. She loved all things Russian. This is a friend of mine, Kate Camp, one of the people who took the residency in 2017. And it was because of Kate that I even had the concept of overseas writers' residencies, to be honest. So in that sense... Um, Kate and Catherine are a little bit responsible for me being here. <laughs> I'm going to start finishing up now. Um, but, yeah, essentially the journey of discovering the things that I found in common with her is an ongoing one, I think. Not only is she queer, not only is she kind of in the situation of being in exile from New Zealand, the same way as me, and you know, mostly voluntary, but also considerably involuntary. With her, it was her health, and with me, it's also kind of a disease-related situation. Also, the fact that she had tuberculosis. My dad actually had tuberculosis 50 years later, and uh, he survived it. Uh, he lost a kidney to it, but he survived it. So it's a it's a disease that's kind of been in my awareness since I was a kid, for that reason. Yeah, obviously her close connection to uh, 
to Wellington. And um, in terms of recommendations, I would recommend that you read um, a short story called Bliss as a way of starting off. It's a very um, Catherine Mansfield, essential Catherine Mansfield short story. But tonight I'm going to finish off with um, just reading a, another poem of hers. And it's a poem called The Sea Child. And it goes... Into the world you sent her, mother, fashioned her body of coral and foam, combed a wave in her hair's warm smother and drove her away from home. In the dark of the night she crept to the town and under a doorway she laid her down, the little blue child, in a foam-fringed gown. And never a sister and never a brother to hear her call, to answer her cry. Her face shone out from her hair's warm smother like a moonkin up in the sky. She sold her corals, she sold her foam, her rainbow heart like a singing shell, broken her body, she crept back home. Peace, go back to the world, my daughter. Daughter, go back to the darkling land. There is nothing here but sad seawater and a handful of sifting sand. This is her, her grave at uh, the cemetery in Avon in France. And uh, this inscription says this, But I tell you, my lord fool, out of this nettle danger, we pluck this flower safety. It's a quote from uh, from Shakespeare, and I think it's a nice kind of circular way of circling back to her sense of adventure and being being born in a storm. So um, yeah, in Maori we usually just farewell the dead after we've spoken about them. So I'll do that. Thank you. Hina Moana Baker from the stage at Akud, recorded by Simona Antonioni. We'll be back in Akud quite soon, actually, with live shows coming up on May the 2nd and June the 9th. So if you're in Berlin, do come and see us. Yes, please do. Now, you can read many of Catherine Mansfield's stories online, and we'll provide links to those, as well as some wonderful photos of people and places in the episode notes over on our website, deadladyshow.com slash podcast, as well as on our social media channels at Dead Lady Show. Katie, did you know about Catherine Mansfield before? I had heard her name, and I knew she was from New Zealand, but I didn't actually know that she traveled to Europe so much so it, I'd learned a lot actually yeah yeah I did as well I mean I knew again I knew her name you know sort of think oh yes of course I know who this is yeah um because of having read a lot of short stories and studied short stories but um I couldn't have named a single one unfortunately mm. <laughs> but then I went and I I read some of the ones and there's really a lot on these websites um from the Catherine Mansfield Society that you can read nice. and there are some really great ones um Two I would recommend are uh, A Dill Pickle, which just has the best name. It's a great title. It, it is, and it's a great story. And it is actually, if you've done the dating thing any time in the last 
200 years. <laughs> I don't know. I think you'll get something out of that story, strangely Yikes. enough. <laughs> and the other one is um, How Pearl Button Was Kidnapped, which I had this huge deja vu of having read before. So I must have read it before, but it's incredibly evocative. And then um, some of the other fun things to read are her stories that she wrote in that time period that Hinamawana mentioned um, when she was in Germany mm. and recovering and kind of having a bit of a hard time, but she really paints the picture of staying in a, um, a Kurort, <laughs> a sort of a spa town type of place, recovering, and the Germans that are staying in these little uh, pensions with her, and just how kind of wonderful and horrible they, mm. they are, <laughs> from the food to the things that they wear. Oh, and I mean, it's, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's quite fun to read, especially if you are a non-German living in Germany. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Or, or you just like to, to travel other places uh, when you read. So um, <laughs> definitely do check those out. Yeah. We'll also provide links to the album you heard a bit of at the start of Hinawana's talk, which puts 12 of Catherine Mansfield's poems to music. Our music, that is to say our theme tune, is Little Lily Swing by Tri Tachyon. And if you'd like to read our show, we have transcripts of this episode and many others available on our website, thanks in part to our lovely Patreon supporters, who help us out over at patreon.com slash Podcast where we thank them with special book-themed audio features. Yes, thank you, Patreon supporters, and thank you, Katie, and thanks to Hinamawana for the heartfelt presentation. And thank you to everybody out there listening. We'll be back again next month with another fabulous Dead Lady. The Dead Lady Show was founded by Florian Dowsens and Katie Darbyshire. The podcast is created, produced, and edited by me, Susan Stone. Bis bald! Bye-bye! Support for this episode of the Dead Ladies Show podcast comes from the Berliner Zanat. <laughs>